what I find fascinating about this whole discussion is that the people who the tariffs are likely really going to hurt are Trump's base. And so how will that play out? And he feels like he could do it. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spear. Good morning. A lot of big names in Indiana this week, including Vice President Mike Pence back for a second time this week. He spoke at Taylor University's commencement yesterday. We also have a presidential candidate in the state this weekend, Eric Swalwell, the California congressman in his wife's hometown of Columbus. He held an event there Friday. He'll do a town hall later today. Also tonight, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg holds a town hall in New Hampshire on Fox News Channel. And we also heard this week from Ivanka Trump, who was in Indianapolis for a business forum at Salesforce downtown. And on Wednesday, we saw so many big names in politics here in Indiana for the funeral of former Senator Richard Lugar, capping off two days of touching remembrances here in the Circle City to honor a former U.S. Senator, senator and Indianapolis mayor greatly respected by people on both sides of the aisle. Our Russ McQuaid was there. Accompanied by military pallbearers, Richard Luger returned to the Indiana State House one final time. Mourners gathered to pay their respects and honor a man they say was a humble Hoosier of extraordinary talents. He cared a lot more, probably only about his love of this country and our future, more so than any red or blue political colors. He fought hatred. He did not court it. He calmed fear. He did not attempt to use it. He extinguished violence. He did not countenance it. The late senator's family accepted best wishes from friends and strangers, and generations of Hoosier leaders reflected on the example Luger set and their attempts to live up to that legacy. It's hard to imagine what Indiana and Indianapolis would be like if Richard Luger hadn't been a part of public service. It's a happier, healthier, safer, and more decent place. You know, the thing that's got me today is that all the millions of people around the world who will never know how much he affected their lives. Dick Luger returned to St. Luke's United Methodist Church, where he served as a lay elder in a celebration of life and thanksgiving attended by hundreds of Hoosiers. The flag-draped casket of the Navy veteran, former mayor, ex-senator, and Marion County farmer rolled into St. Luke's United Methodist Church, where, accompanied by the Indianapolis Children's Choir and members of the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra, powerful public officials and common Hoosiers paid their respects to the former Eagle Scout who left Indiana to travel the world in peace. First drawn into politics because he saw some people beginning to view Indianapolis as the kind of place you had to get away from if you wanted to do big things with your life. Boy, did he prove that wrong. Cooperation and compromise in politics is often misunderstood today. Some take it as meaning you give up your principles. Dick Luger never, ever compromised his principles. Perhaps the greatest monument to Dick's here in Indiana is the skyline of Indianapolis and the world-class city that he leaves behind. He made a much better person out of me 
And I know I'm only one of many here who are thinking that right now. Dick Luger was my friend for 52 years. I'm proud that the Luger Center is growing into an organization that reflects and amplifies his vision, his work, and his values. My father, my hero. I yield to the gentleman from Indiana, Richard Green Luger. God bless. Some emotional moments there. Our Russ McQuaid also spoke this week with Indiana Congresswoman Susan Brooks about Senator Luger's legacy. I just visited with him in March. Um, I actually was speaking uh, down in Bloomington. And before walking in, Senator Luger was coming out of the Hamilton Luger Center. It was raining and we got to stop and visit. He was very proud of my work and was um, just so encouraging. And he knows that it's tough times, uh, you know, in helping uh, govern the country. But he was just always an inspiration and very um, encouraging in many ways. When you're in Washington and you're at work or there's a vote that's coming down, is there ever a little voice in the back of your head oh, sure. that Senator Luger says, Susan, oh, sure. I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but this is how I'd look at no, it. No, absolutely. Um, you know, we're very mindful. He has the Luger Index, which is a the Luger Center in Washington rates all of us who are in the House and Senate on how bipartisan we are. And uh, he knows that in order to accomplish big things or anything for the country, we have to work together, both sides of the aisle and both chambers. And so my team and I have been very, very mindful to keep our Luger index high. And so I do think of that on those tough votes, but on the work that we do, we always work to have a bipartisan partner because he led the way. Now, this past Friday, Brooks was one of just eight Republicans to join Democrats voting for the Equality Act, dealing with protections for the LGBT community in a statement saying, quote, we cannot turn a blind eye to discrimination. Congressman Jim Banks posted this picture on Twitter to highlight a bill he says is inspired by Senators Senator Luger's work overseas to keep our global adversaries in check and reduce the likelihood of nuclear warfare, a bill that Senator Todd Young is also sponsoring in the Senate. This week, we also spoke with the man now serving in Luger's former Senate seat, Senator Mike Braun, who's been working this week on some bipartisan legislation dealing with opioids. Among other topics, I asked Senator Braun about the lack of bipartisanship these days in Washington. You're working across the aisle on this issue, something we don't perhaps see as much of these days. It certainly was a, a very big part of Senator Richard Luger's legacy, who we're all remembering this week. Some described his passing as the end of an era. Will we ever be able to return to that kind of Washington where bipartisanship is more commonplace? Well, you know, now that I'm here a little over four months, um, regrettably, I think on the major issues, uh, we're so far apart on what the solution might be. And I'm talking about things like uh, the Green New Deal, um, you know, tax reform and stuff like that. When it comes to common sense like this, where you're wanting to put a label, a warning on, on a pill container and make sure there's proper training when you uh, prescribe these kinds of drugs, we better not be polarized on issues like that or we're, we're in big trouble. I'm hoping on things that are simple and common sense that there's going to be plenty of ability to work across the aisle, and I intend to attempt it often. And uh, I think we'll find uh, success on that stuff. When it comes to the major issues, I think we're talking about philosophical differences. 
you've got the election mixed up in the whole process, and uh, I don't hold out much hope for that between now and 2020. But on this common sense stuff, uh, we should get some of this across the finish line. I also want to ask about the trade war, the markets reacting to these new tariffs. Are you concerned about the potential impact here in Indiana and what this could mean for farmers and others here in the Hoosier state? So uh, you know that um, I've been involved in farming uh, for a long time, and uh, farming uh, has got issues that go a lot deeper than the tariffs. But when your issues of oversupply and high input costs all the things farmers deal with on a daily basis, as well as the weather and uh, intensive assets uh, utilization that raises the financial risk. Hardly any other small business has to contend with those variables. You throw tariffs into it, it just you know adds salt to the wound. Uh, I think once we get through tariffs, and it could be a while with China, uh, I said earlier today uh, on uh, CNBC, we need to get the USMCA across the finish line. It's pretty well fleshed out, and Canada and Mexico are our two biggest trading partners. When it comes to the Chinese and the tariffs that we put on them and the counter-tariffs they've aimed at our farmers, uh, they are different. I think they've got a long-term plan that goes much deeper than the discussions we're having with Canada and Mexico. And they're the only country out there that steals intellectual property, uh, subsidizes industries, dumps the glut on the market, manipulates currencies. Tariffs would be one of the mildest things that they do. I think it's going to be a longer conversation. Markets, to me, look like they're going to be in tough shape for a good while. We've got a lot of other acres coming into production across the world. So there are deep problems affecting the farm market, and this is a burden they don't need uh, when it comes to tariffs. All right. Now, the president announcing Friday he is lifting the tariffs on Canada and Mexico. But when it comes to China, we got this statement from the president of the Indiana Chamber this week, who said we're hearing from a variety of members that this latest tariff war could have serious business implications, even throw some into a fight for survival. This is a, quote, big, big deal for Indiana, he says, which exports more than a billion dollars of goods to China every year. He says we do agree with President Trump that China has gotten off far too easy over the last few decades, but there's got to be a better way and putting American businesses and jobs on the line. All right, much more to come. Mayor Pete Buttigieg back in the spotlight tonight, taking part in a Fox News town hall. We'll show you where he sits in the latest Fox News poll, and we'll tell you what the candidates are saying about the controversy in Alabama over the issue of abortion and what it could mean at the national level if it goes all the way to the Supreme Court. Stick around. We'll be right back. All right, time to bring in our panel now. Former Donnelly campaign manager Peter Hanscom, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, Democratic strategist Laura Beck, and 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign Tony Samuel. We talked a lot there about Senator Luger's legacy in the first segment, but you compare that with, with modern-day Washington, and it's just a, a different place now. 
how would he navigate some of these controversies, the, the trade war with China, uh, the threat of war with Iran, immigration, some of the other um, modern-day controversies that our current senators are dealing with? I think the thing about Senator Luger's legacy, we talked a lot about right, bipartisanship because of the bipartisanship scores and the things that the Luger Center has done. But with bipartisanship comes compromise, right? Bringing both sides together, getting in a room and, and hashing out a deal and figuring out how to make something work, bringing you know, two sides who oftentimes don't agree. That was the hallmark of his legacy, and I think that's tough. We don't see a lot of that in Washington right now, and uh, you know, moving forward, I think that's how we'll solve some of these problems, but the, the, the answer of how it happens is, I think, a little tricky. And a lot of people spoke about that legacy this past week, including the vice president, the current Senate majority leader. Yeah, it put them in a tough spot because they couldn't go against uh, their, their, their boss, Trump, but they had to talk about bipartisanship. But I'll be bipartisan and agree with Peter. You know, you don't have to compromise your principles to find common ground. And I think that's the key. And I think a lot of people in both parties have just forgotten that. What about these tariffs? Uh, the Indiana Chamber is saying this week, quote, there's got to be a better way, and they're pretty worried about the potential impact here, here in Indiana. Yeah, I, I think that there are more people other than uh, the chamber that are worried about it. I mean, in fact, there was a Reuters poll that was taken of um, economists, and they act, the majority of them actually feel like this puts us at a greater risk for a recession. Um, so there is there's great concern. I think at this point, we don't really know how it's going to shake out. We have an idea, but we really don't know in, in practice purposes. Uh, one of the challenges is that, especially with the president, um, I think he likes seeing the stock market move uh, by when he, you know, makes a makes a call or says something. Um, but that doesn't do much for consumer confidence. It doesn't make people feel comfortable, and especially can really have an impact on how people feel about the economy, which translates to, hey, I'm going to hold off on buying that washer, or hey, I'm going to wait on that car. So that can really have long-range impacts for the day-to-day -day average person. You heard Senator Braun earlier, who's uh, of course now in the, the seat once held by Senator Luger, talking about this tariff issue. Uh, where Where is all of this headed? Well, Senator Braun did a good job of, of listing out all of the ways that China has taken advantage of, of the U.S. Uh, for decades now. And that's what's gotten us into this situation. So now we've got President Trump addressing the situation, and he's doing it in a way that strategically is good for us because our economy is so strong right now. I haven't heard any of the criticizers, people that are critical of this, saying uh, what they would do instead. So we're on the right course, I think. It'll play out. There is cause for concern. There's always going to be. Nobody wants to see farmers get hurt, and that's why the government is, is taking steps to, to make things better for farmers until we achieve our goal with China. The, the tariffs were a big topic in the latest uh, Fox News poll. Let's look at the numbers here. 34% say they think increased tariffs will help the economy, while 45% think they will hurt the economy. That same poll, by the way, when it comes to the race for president, has Joe Biden increasing his lead among Democrats, with Pete Buttigieg now in fourth behind Elizabeth Warren. And in the hypothetical head-to-head matchups, Biden leads Trump by the widest margin of any Democrat, 49-38, as you see there, while Buttigieg trails Trump, 41-40. Your, your thoughts, Peter, on some of the numbers that we're seeing here, both on the tariffs and, and the race for president? Yeah, certainly. I think, you know, tariffs, I think Tony is right to talk about China. It's also very important that we also think about, you know, European tariffs and you know, Mexico and China and our trade, or Mexico and Canada. Some of those lifted Friday, there. perhaps, yeah, yeah. Incredibly important. In terms of the race for president, I think you know, we're to a place where Democrats are, are wanting normal again, right? There's a, a longing back to look back at the Obama-Biden, you know, legacy in those days and think like, ah, 
th those were those were pretty good times. Um, and so that though, I don't know how long that holds. I think this is going to be a long, drawn-out primary, and there's a lot left uh, before we get to the end. Biden seems to be increasing his lead in the Well, he does, and despite his biggest weakness, which is probably his age, he seems to be a guy who, of, of all the Democrats, seems to be the, the most likely to move a little bit toward the center. And there are also some polls out last week that suggest that some of the Democrats may have misjudged the, the, uh, the ardor, I guess, for radical change in the 2018 election, and maybe America's really not to go ready to go all the way the direction of AOC or Elizabeth Warren. They want to be more centrist. Has Pete Buttigieg peaked? He's moved back to fourth place in that poll, or, or I, I does he still have a bright at all. future? No, I, I think he definitely, not to interrupt you, but I think, yeah. he, I think he definitely has a bright future. Um, he's had a great rollout, um, and I think what you're seeing is just the natural, natural transition after the rollout. There's a number of town halls, debates that he's going to be a part of, and I think every time he talks in a very thoughtful, common-sense way about all of the various policy issues uh, that he's going to really continue to um, to rise. He released a number see of that, uh, policy positions definitely on his website. See that. But he hasn't live-streamed his haircut yet. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. When's he going to do that? Or been in a dentist chair. Uh, <laughs> Tony, your thoughts on some of these poll numbers? Do not get me started. The poll numbers, well, uh, I think they're, they're what I would expect because Joe Biden's been uh, vice president for eight years. He's been a senator for decades. He's run for president uh, at least twice that I know of. So his name ID is, is high. I think Mike's right that uh, the media may have overshot the, the, the move to the left and the candidates that are, are, are doing that themselves. There are still plenty of folks that have not paid attention to what the media is trying to sell. And so when Biden gets in the race, they know his name. Folks, of course, I'm talking about on the Democrat side. And that's why you've got this lead by Biden but he's not doing a great job out there. He's stumbling, he's, 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 he's kind of uh, uh, not looking as, as good as you would expect so after all that experience. Pete Buttigieg tonight, as we mentioned earlier, taking part in a Fox News town hall with Fox News Sunday's Chris Wallace. Uh, Elizabeth Warren this week saying she would not take part in a Fox News town hall this election year. Also this week, a number of Democratic candidates uh, speaking out on another issue, the controversial abortion ban just signed into law in the state of Alabama. I don't think that you are free in this country if your reproductive health can be criminalized by government victims. This is an all-out assault, state after state, over 39 efforts in this country to undermine women's reproductive freedoms. President Trump intends on overturning Roe v. Wade. Uh, he's made it clear, not only in his campaign, but as president. And that's what these Republican legislatures are doing across this country. Some of the candidates, including Senator Gillibrand and Warren, calling for Congress to pass a bill protecting abortion rights uh, nationwide. Mayor Buttigieg saying that's something he thinks should be looked at. The state of Missouri also uh, this week passing some controversial legislation. What will the, the state-by-state state implications be here, perhaps, as we wait ultimately for the courts to decide on this? some of these controversial bills? Well, I think that um, we're going to continue to see this as we move into 2020. I mean, clearly this is this is the game plan um, for, for, for conservatives. Um, I, I don't necessarily say Republicans, because I don't know if Republicans really uh, all are in some line with said, some of the extreme. Some have said, including Kevin McCarthy, that yeah, he thought the Alabama bill the, Yeah, I mean, when you, when, you, when you actually are penalizing a victim 
of rape or a victim of child molestation more than the actual perpetrator. Um, that sets um, a very dangerous precedent. Uh, what I think that we will also see is that this is going to become such an issue in 2020. And frankly, Republicans, they don't win when they talk about rape. They, they just don't. I mean, ask Senator Murdoch. Um, that's a classic <laughs> example of it. Right. So if they're, if they're smart, I think they pull back the reins on that. But I, I think you'll see the Democrats react and, and some may overreact. Mike, your thoughts here quickly? Well, first of all, we're not going to solve it here. We're not going to solve it for a couple of years. I think it does deserve to come before the Supreme Court in some fashion. Um, some people have been waiting 46 years for that to, ha to happen. But in this whole debate, whether it's Alabama, Missouri, whatever, um, of course women should not be uh, criminalized for what bad things may happen to them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, nobody here is talking about the babies. And when is somebody going to start talking about the babies? We'll talk more about it on our podcast. Uh, coming up next, the sights and sounds from National Police Week as the president honors seven fallen Hoosier officers. Stick around. We'll be right back. and to express our love, respect, everlasting gratitude for the heroes of law enforcement. President Trump taking part in the Peace Officers Memorial Service as part of National Police Week, honoring our fallen officers. This year, seven Hoosiers were remembered in our nation's capital, including Boone County Deputy Jacob Pickett. We spoke with his father in D.C. and with the Boone County Sheriff. I think as time gets uh, longer and farther away from that tragic day um, on March 2nd uh, in 2018, it's going to get easier, but we'll never heal from this. Very, very proud of Jake. We're proud of all these men and women. They're all heroes. You can see more of Nick McGill's reports from Washington on our website. We're back to wrap things up right after this. Stick around. All right, we wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Tony. My winner for the week is Attorney General William Barr, who is turning the tables on the Russian collusion delusion by investigating the, the folks that started this fraud in the first place. Love. My winner is uh, the people of Indiana because we had Senator Richard Luger represent us so ably for so many years. I've got to be the loser because I made this great crew wait a whole half hour while I negotiated <laughs> I-65 and 465 both being closed. The winner has to be Governor Holcomb because he got a letter from the Justice Department last week saying he's off the bad boys list when it comes to hate crimes. Peter, you get the last word. Yeah, I'll combine uh, a little bit of these last two in the spirit of bipartisanship from Senator Luger, you know, the good relationship between Governor Holcomb, Mayor Hogsett, and commemorating that event, and also some fantastic jobs announcements. All right, thank you so much for being here, and thank you for joining us. We'll see you next weekend. Okay, back on uh, now for the podcast to wrap things up with Peter Hanscom, Mike Murphy, Laura Beck, and Tony Sammy. We're talking there about Alabama, and obviously Indiana also this year had some legislation, obviously nothing to this extreme, but legislation that pops up as it does from time to time where Democrats challenge Republicans and say, why are we doing this legislation? It could get overturned in the courts. It seems to be that's the question now with this Alabama legislation or the Missouri legislation is what happens when all of this does go to the courts? Yeah, certainly. I think uh, we see these state legislatures uh, routinely keeping the ACLU uh, and other entities <laughs> like them in business, uh, giving them a great reason to continue fundraising and doing the work that they do. But I, you know, I think there is also a concerted effort to take these efforts that are happening you know, state by state by state to eventually get a, a court case in front of the Supreme Court, you know, to, to potentially overturn the verdict on Roe. Uh, and you know, when that happens, I think you, you may then finally have some uh, more progressive and democratic-leaning voters actually begin caring about the Supreme Court, uh, again, you know, 
I would argue in past elections, conservatives have been the ones, right, that have that have really uh, understood the stakes uh, that are that are so high. Well, there. now we have Brett Kavanaugh on the court. We have Neil Gorsuch on the court. Could that be the ultimate outcome here? Is a a reversal of Roe v. Wade? Well, it could be. This Alabama case, uh, you have seen a few uh, prominent Republicans come out and say it's it's going too far. They're, they're, that doesn't change their views on abortion. But as far as this being the case to take the Supreme Court to the Supreme Court, they're they're a little leery of that. And it could I, be another case. It could, could be this be Missouri case, yeah. law that goes all the way yeah. to the high court. Um, and then also you have to look at this country as being uh, even more divided on this issue because you, a few months ago you heard about New York and Virginia and the move from the left to, to uh, open up even uh, abortions to a greater degree uh, to allow them going into the third trimester. So um, you're really looking, if you look at the states and you look at the coasts in the middle, um, that's, you know, that's, it's even more of a divide. But let's, but let's acknowledge one thing. Right to life, abortion, whatever you want to call it, it's not a Democrat versus Republican thing. Right? There are Democrats who are very pro-life. There are, uh, one example, Peggy Welch, who I served with for many years, was one of the leading advocates for pro-life in my memory in Indiana, right? And, she, and, and there's also Republicans who are pro-choice, mm -hmm. right? Uh -huh. So there's two reasons why people vote for pro-life bills, at least in the Indiana legislature. One, because they really believe in what they're voting on. Some of them, Frank, and this may sound cynical, but some of them vote that way because they're trying to get their A rating with the Indiana Right to Life and other, other religious groups, right? There's or three, a primary. Yeah, there's three things, there's three things that matter to the conservatives yeah. and the Republican in the yeah. Republican caucuses. The Indiana Chamber, the Right to Life, and the NRA. And if you hit that trifecta, you're probably in pretty good shape. But if you miss one of those, then you might get primaried. We so heard from the it. Indiana Chamber this week on the issue yeah. of tariffs. We talked about that earlier. Um, how influential a voice is that uh, on this? Obviously a federal issue, but uh, to have a group, a state chamber, come out and say, hey, uh, maybe this isn't the best approach. Yeah, I think, I think you know, personally they're a, they're a strong voice. You know, we saw their endorsement process in the Senate race in 2018. You know, I was, was there in the room during a lot of these interviews and tariffs were top of mind, um, you know, not only for the staff at the chamber, but particularly those executive committee members who are titans of local industry, right? These are the people who are hiring Hoosiers on a daily basis. These are people who are selling soybeans and, and grain and, and seeing the bottom totally fall out from underneath these prices and markets. And so it, this is tricky, right? We're a state where up in our you know, northwest corner, we're producing a lot of steel. And we have you know, countries like China who are not playing by the rules, right? Who are stealing intellectual property, who are dumping. Um, yet this you know, I think what many could argue is a little bit of an overcorrection is you know, without the real question and we've all four talked about this is, you know, is there a long term plan here because this pain is, is pretty sharp and, and people are feeling it. Um, how long can that last before you have to change course? Some reports, Tony, I know you always don't buy into all of the reports you hear about the administration and infighting that, that, that perhaps there is a bit of discord within the administration about how to handle this in terms of perhaps not all the people in there now, but some of the people who have been in the administration here over the last year or so, some of them still there, some of them gone, who, who may have thought maybe this isn't the best way to go. Sure, there, there's always, and, and that's, that, that's not always a bad thing. It's, it's usually a good thing with this administration and some of the folks um, that are not there any longer. Uh, I'm not so sure. 
uh, and then the leaks, but then you, you've got to look at where, where the leaks real in the first place because there's so many times that there's an unnamed source reporting to the New York Times or Washington Post, and, and then you, you run away with, with a story like this. Um, you know, the president is the, the decision maker, and he's going to hear different opinions, and then he's going to make the decision. But I think uh, a lot of farmers are still behind him because they know, uh, even though they're feeling a little bit of pain now, that this is good for the country. Nobody has a, an alternative, a different strategy to deal with China. And, and uh, he has, you know, come across with uh, trade agreements with South Korea, with the, the new uh, uh, Mexico and Canada. Right. agreement, so we've got to give this more time. The Midwest was crucial, of course, mm -hmm. to President Trump winning in right. 2016. Um, how crucial will this issue be to his re-election? Well, I think it remains to be seen. Um, it definitely remains to be seen. I mean, I think everyone bring, has brought up some great points. I mean, you know, China not playing by the rules is, is a good one, um, as well as you've got, you've got everyone on the business side, um, especially. What I find fascinating about this whole discussion is that the people who tariffs are likely really going to hurt our Trump's base. And so how will that play out? And he feels like he could do it. So we will just wait and see what happens. I mean, there was a re there was a recent um, there was a recent poll that I referenced when we were on air from Reuters that Reuters did with with leading economists and the majority of them feel like the tariffs could ratchet us up for a better shot at another recession. Um, so that's also out there as well. Um, I think one of the reasons why we also lost the Midwest is because we gave up the Midwest. I mean, if you don't go to the Midwest, you're not going to win the Midwest, right? So that's also another issue, too. Um, so we'll see. Michael, I'll give you the last word on well, this. Well, first of all, if you read the, the Bob Woodward book, he, he likes to show that it seems to be more like Munchen and Cohn versus Wilbur Ross. And you're right, the president does get varying opinions. Mnuchin? That was a Munchen. Munchen. That's a, that's a whole Mnuchin? new I don't <laughs> like Munchen. Munchen. By the way, he makes some really funny movies. Munchkin? I mean, Munchkin? some of the movies are good. Mnuchin, whatever. Um, yeah, but if you look here one. in the Midwest, it's going to go geographically here in Indiana. Yeah. You know, you got the steel up in the northwest, and steel goes right. into a lot of durable goods, which affects the price of refrigerators and cars and everything else. You got the farm economy. Um, so it'll depend on whether Republicans or Democrats, what part of the state you're representing. In Wisconsin, the dairy industry is on the way to extinction. That's right. all there is to it. And that is largely um, because of two reasons. One is the tariffs recently, and then some efforts of, uh, by Scott Walker to, quite frankly, overproduce dairy products in Wisconsin over a period of time in his last couple of years in office. So a lot of factors, but the bottom line is the average Hoosier, the average Wisconsinite, if that's the proper word, the average Munchen is, uh, is, 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 is not in a good uh, spot right now, at least mentally as far as optimism versus pessimism. Yeah, Wisconsin's going to be, a, I think, a pretty critical state mm -hmm. here in the, if, in the next I, election. If you don't mind me stealing yeah. the last word, we've had a $500 billion a year trade deficit with China. Something's got to be done. This president's taking steps to, to reverse that. All right. Well, it's an issue we'll talk about a lot more. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Congrats yeah. to Peter Hanscom, by the way. That's yes. right. going to be yes. with the United Wave. It's nice yeah. to have a job. Uh, next week. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> Getting out of the business. Good yeah. for you. Congratulations yeah. to you, sir. Thank Thanks. you all for being here. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. Enjoy the Indy 500. Thank you. Thanks.